Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Zechariah. You'll find it in the Church Bibles on page 950. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, and then chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Ido. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. And then chapter 4. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, John. Well, let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that your word is life to us. That your words are life to us. Bring your life afresh to us today through the words we sing, the words we prayed, and through your living word, the the Bible, this morning. Thank you that you love to speak to us, and you love to speak into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, as I got a little bit gripped by, by Zachariah, I kind of thought, oh, there's so much I'd like to say about Zachariah, but this morning I'm really just going to do a really simple thing and, and partly just use it as a way of sharing some things or saying some things. So it's not, in a sense, just uh, a normal sort of approach to Scripture this morning. But I want you to recognize, and those of you who know your Bibles also recognize it, in the Bible there's lots of different pictures and specific pictures about what being a Christian means what it is all about and what it looks like. One of those pictures as we're exploring this year is to walk by the Spirit. It's the image of walking. Some of the other ways you might find another passage of Scripture that you'll know of is the idea of walking with Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus called his disciples to follow him. 
There's a particularly beautiful passage on the road to Emmaus where Jesus is walking with a group of people who are completely confused, don't know who he is, and he's walking with them. The Christian life includes movement. There's purpose. There's direction to it. There's a journey to take in the Christian life. Some would like to say and emphasize that the Christian life, and those of you who've been Christians uh, a long time, would maybe say that, do you know, it's been an adventure like I'd never expected. No idea that it would turn out this way. No idea that I'd end up going to some of the places I've been to and doing some of the things I've had to do or been able to do. A lifetime adventure following in the footsteps of Jesus following in his footsteps. Famously, the Apostle Paul, after Jesus' death, his resurrection ascension, so remember Jesus had left the earth, is that Paul then describes, particularly in Galatians, uses this image of walking by the Spirit that picks up some of that previous language but puts it into a slightly different context of Jesus no longer being with us on the earth. So we've been exploring this theme over the last year and look at things like in the Old Testament, seeing the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the promises that appear in the Old Testament, whether it's through Deuteronomy, through Ezekiel or through Joel and and seeing that in some of the prophets of old, Zechariah is a prophet, but also we looked at Elijah very briefly in fairness and at how God used people to speak to them and for them to speak to the people. We then looked briefly at how the Spirit forms us in all sorts of different ways. There's some very overt ways in which the Spirit of God is worked. But also he's made us slightly different. Created us different, uniquely made with slightly different purposes and passions and callings on our lives. We used the the verse in Ephesians 4.11. Some are called to be prophets. Some are called to be apostles. Some are called to be evangelists. Some are called to be pastors. And some are called to be teachers. And actually the, the Christian year and the, um, the shape of the Christian year helps us massively the way that Christmas, Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, Lent, Advent help us root ourselves in the story of all that God has done for us and the life of the Spirit that's in and through that. And probably just after Easter, we thought, particularly in Paul's letters, the 13 letters associated with Paul in the New Testament, looked at how Paul talks about the Spirit as God's personal, empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is God's personal, empowering presence in our lives. And that presence of God in our lives does radically changes it and produces a fruit that we talked about during the summer that actually isn't a human sense of fruit, but it's a very radical sense of as the Spirit of God gets work in our lives, then it starts to look different. Even if we are discontent at bits of our life, actually becomes a way for God to begin to move us and to grow us from that place of saying, you know, I would love to be more joyful. Even that sense of discontent could be a prompt to start to move us towards that and away from the things that hold us into the things that are the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. God longs for us. God's heart for us. 
God's passion and desire for us is to be full of the Holy Spirit and that the fruit of the Spirit is very uh, real, in a very real way, active and at work amongst us. It's not abstract. It's not like a list of abstract things. Fruit, I know nothing about gardening, as I've said many times, but one of the things I know about fruit is it's real and it's edible. That's, that's about as much as I can tell you in terms of horticulture. It's real. It has purpose, has a sense of touch, taste, smell, and makes a difference in us. So I suppose the question that then leaves us is, as part of that, how are we getting on? How are we getting on in that journey in walking by the Spirit? Does it feel a little bit out there? Or is there a sense of growth? Is there a sense of movement? Or is it a bit elusive? Do you know, I have, as I said just before I stood up, a sense that God does long and want to grow that in our lives. But at some level, there needs to be a hunger and a thirst for it. To recognize that's what God wants for us. And for that to be met with a desire in us to step into that. One of the things, and again, I'll share it maybe another time, is that we went for a day to New Wine. And in a slightly mad day, one of the morning sessions, I was deeply moved by, but also very challenged by, about how hungry am I, really, for God? How hungry am I for God? How thirst I am for the things of God? Or has everything else got in the way? Have we lost our first love? I'm saying this to myself, I'm preaching it to myself. But there's something deeply in the Bible, in the writings, that points us to a God who is just way beyond what we can imagine. And the and God longs for a hunger and a thirst to well up and to be an awakening in our hearts and our souls for that life that he promises. So I think this morning I'm just simply focusing on one particular thing. And I've used, in a sense, Zachariah and some of the words of Zachariah to help us focus on it. I want to look at simply at a few verses that the prophet Zechariah brings to put, on a, to put a finger on an age-old spiritual problem that might be one of the things that gets in the way of get all that, what, that what God wants for us. So Zechariah, those of you who know your Bible, is right at the end of the Old Testament. You'll find that if you read the Pew Bible. He was prophesying at about 500-ish BC. He was a contemporary of Haggai. And he's most likely part of the Babylonian exile group returning to Jerusalem. And he was kind of appalled, in a sense, by the state of God's people. And he came hearing God and bringing a message of restoration, longing to see a restoration amongst God's people, but particularly the temple. If you ever read Zechariah, I don't know whether many of you read Zechariah, it's actually quite difficult to read. If you like a bit of narrative, it's very difficult to read. If you like apocalyptic, sort of dramatic pictures and those kind of things, you might love it. But if you take you know, half an hour, you might find yourself, my goodness, what earth is that all about? Uh, or you might think, wow, this is amazing. I, I'm not sure what this is all about, but it sounds great. And it's a series of dramatic and powerful visions about restoration. And chapter one, though, sets the scene that John read to us. And in a sense, it's really simple. People. 
Do you want to keep making the same mistakes or not? Do you want to keep making the same mistakes? Do you want to keep repeating the errors of the past? Or do you want to change? Do you want to see? And and, Because if you do, then you need to return to me. Verse 3, return to me and I will return to you. Verse 4, but they would not listen or pay attention to me. When we're honest, and this isn't about guilt, but when we just take a moment and think, okay, where am I with God? Whose voice? Whose voices are dominant in my life? Is God amongst that? A longing to hear God, to spend time in his words, spend time with him, spend time with his people? Is God central to our lives? I love one of the definitions people use about some of the wisdom books in the Bible. And one writer describes about the wisdom literature as like learning through life. And so right at the beginning here, Zachariah is saying, you know, you can just continue to ignore me, not listen to me, and continue to make the same mistakes if you want to. But the opportunity God is offering you is to learn through life, to learn from your mistakes, to grow, not to go round and round in a circle. Do our lives show that? Are we hungry to listen to what God wants for us, to spend time with him, and then to get on with it? Do we want to make time for him at the beginning of this year, maybe? I know you don't, not everybody thinks in school years, but but there's an opportunity before us to think about what it means to put God first and to listen to his voice and to do something about it. Because if we are falling short, if this morning you're someone who sits there and says, do you know what, Tim, yeah, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. But it's really simple. There's an opportunity for repentance, opportunity to put yourself back into line with what God wants, to recognize that things maybe aren't the way they need to be or actually you'd want them to be. But it's a call to repentance, to turn away from the mistakes of the past and to walk into the purposes of God. Really simple, I know, but it's a really simple in its essence, its message. Then while we, as we went, you get into Zechariah, what you find is a series of these dramatic visions. And John read just a little bit of chapter 4. Uh, there's eight dramatic uh, visions of Zechariah. And Zechariah implores the people to return to God, to come back to God. In the middle of this fifth vision in chapter 4, the golden lampstands and the two olive trees, is this famous verse that sort of in a sense has been wedded on my mind for a long time. That It's one of those verses people on their fridge or whatever it is. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. There's a call to lay aside our dependence and our trust on all the human wisdom, all the human things, all the human powers that are all around us, the earthly power. 
but to rely on God's spirit and attend to God's agenda if you want to see restoration in your life. I mean, you can ignore that. Just continue to build your own temple to your own life that's built on your own agenda and all those other things. And here, just briefly to explain, the lampstand represents God's ever-presentness in the world. God sees everything in your life. God is the only person who sees everything in your life. All your thoughts, all your actions, all the things, all the things you do in private, all the things that you do publicly. God sees it all. Now that works two ways, doesn't it? This morning you can sit there and think, the holy God sees everything I do, including the things that go through my head on an average week and some of the terrible things I think about other people. Oh dear. That is one side of God. But the other side of God is to say, God sees all that, and still, he comes to me. In spite of my my unworthiness or my inability to, to do all I'd like to do, God still comes to me as someone he loves. God sees everything, and the two olive trees represent God's two, remember these are God's two chosen representatives, seen as Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the governor. And two humanly very powerful people and significant people in the life of God's people. These aren't just random external powers that are really adverse. These are leaders in the religious community and in this political sphere amongst Zechariah. And what Zechariah is saying, or God speaking through Zechariah, is this, you know, these amazing people that I've actually called, they may have great power, they may have real gifts, they may be very skillful, they may even be called by me. But don't forget, really the bottom line is, it's by my spirit. I ordain it. I'm ultimately the source of all life and calling and power amongst and will lead God's people, will determine the future of God's people, however important or powerful. And do you know that same temptation? I don't know about you, but 2,500 years on from this verse, that same temptation is that we build up people massively, put them on pedestals, think this is the person who's going to do this, that, and the other. People get bigger, God gets smaller. Our trust in God actually gets less because we turn our eyes to these people who are going to save us, do whatever, whatever, whatever. And quietly, we lose our trust and our faith in God and his spirit to work in our community and amongst us. I, amongst other people, you know, we get captivated by human success, don't we? In my secular world, I used to it. There's also a thing when you become a vicar, you're looking at other people's churches and thinking, well, how are they doing? And we start to compare ourselves, thinking, oh, you know, they must have got it all right, or I've got it wrong. But God calls us again to put our trust in him and his spirit. Yes, we are weak. Yes, we will fail. But ultimately, we are called to his kingdom and his kingdom alone, his righteousness and eternity with him. And that and that alone is in and through God. 
So we live at a time where you may think, well, so what's our position? I've just very briefly talked around a few things around that passage. But it's written in secular writings. You know, we are seen in the, the last 10, 15 years, we're seen very much as a culture that's seen as the I generation. You know, everything needs to revolve around me. More so than previous generations. Actually, we're so self-consumed with our own visions, our own dreams, our own stuff, our own things. Our, it's really me, 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 in a way. Now, that's not the same across the world, but it's certainly in the Western culture. It's a very, very dominant culture where my own personal sense of well-being in comparison to anybody else has an incredibly high value. We're very, very individualistic. So it's, life is tough because I've got to get ahead of everybody else. I've got to get on top above everybody else Otherwise, they're not going to look after me. I still remember when I was about 20 and I was going um, to Argentina. I was going to do a flood relief project with a Christian agency and during my summer holidays. And I went to see the GP uh, in my kind of keenness. I said, do I really need any jabs? It's Argentina, it's fine. He said, yeah, I think you need some jabs. He said, but just bear in mind, Tim, you've just got to look after number one. Now, I was an idealistic. I was going on this missionary thing, and I was so deeply offended that my GP would tell me, just, Tim, just look after number one. And actually, this was quite a long time ago, actually, now, about 30 years ago. But it is, it's that culture of nobody else is going to look after me in a way that I long for and I think I deserve. So unless you do it, nobody else will. And it seeps into everything we do. Because actually, we've got to build defenses against the world that's going to hurt us. We know most of us at different points will have been hurt and damaged by other people who haven't been able to look after us very well. But what that leads us to is a load of behaviours that end up creating us, creating an even bigger and bigger island of ourselves. Just me on my own, trying to make life work. And that's not the way God intended it. But the call is therefore is to come afresh to God at the beginning of this term and as we continue to journey with God. You know, in light of all the other powers, in light of all the other things people have done, in light of your gifts and abilities, it's actually to surrender yourself afresh to God. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Do you know, while we are away at uh, the Gower last weekend, one of the challenges of the person who came to, to, to speak was really simple right at the end. How are you getting on with your Bible? How are you getting on with making time for God? How are you getting on with praying? Or actually, is gathering with God's people a priority for you this year? What about God's power? Do you long for God's power? Not for yourself, so you can lord, your, lord it over others, but so actually you can make a difference in the world. We were going to go through Acts, and there's lots of that in Acts, by the way, but, but we'll delay that for 
another time. Do you know, it's, it's the basics. It's the basics of just spending time with God, saying, yeah, Lord, at the beginning of this time, I know I need to make you number one. I'm tempted by all these other things. These things are difficult. Do you know, my family is just so difficult. If you had my family, Lord, you would understand why you can't be number one. If you had my financial situation, Lord, you know, you'd understand why I don't want to be generous to you. It's tough to live in Bath. You, you know, you understand, Lord. And then I could keep going, couldn't I? Of all the things that we continue to add and think, well, you know, but, but, but. I remember um, briefly, there was, um, I was late 20s maybe, it was on this development program in the NHS, and it was, I think it was a conflict resolution uh, conference, and it was the people who came in to do some training with us, and one of the things they were doing when they found some conflict resolution was a simple model that they're using the secular world um, to try and help resolve conflicts, and the chap who was leading it was a very personable chap, and he got to it, and it, there's this idea that if you're two people in, in conflict, someone else can help to look at it objectively, you know, that's the idea. And one of the things he shared, which has, has always stuck with me, is that his colleagues used to say to him, is that actually he had learned never to let go of power. He looked like he did. It looked like he was being objective, had divorced himself from kind of the conflict. But he never actually did. And so, but what he did is he had lots of charm. And so people thought that actually this was a very open conversation in which two people could have a really straightforward conversation, but he'd never actually given up, and he was honest enough to say, do you know, that was true. It was true, never actually surrendering, but desperately trying to keep control of everything so that actually you can't serve people openly and safely. And actually, in a secular sense, his friends called him out. He said, no, you just try and charm everybody, not actually help us lead us forward. And in a sense, I'm struck by that as we journey through that. And that stuck with me partly because in the Christian life, some of us have been in church a long time. Some of us know the language, know the stuff. And actually, what I think of you or what anybody else who sat near to you thinks of you ultimately is not your great worry. Your worry needs to be what God thinks of you. And actually, God calls us, therefore, to help each other. God calls us then to journey alongside each other and to let go of our desire to control everything, our own, use our own power, our own might, our own will to try and get on top, but to allow God's Spirit to be amongst us. And all of us can do that. I'm not just talking about one or two things the Spirit does. All of us can encourage. All of us can allow, be used by God to build the church up. God invites us at the beginning of this term afresh to offer ourselves to him and to be Lord and King in our lives. Not just to follow him, but to say, you are Lord and King. And that's the invitation as we uh, bring this to a close this morning. And actually, I know this morning there'll be people who are sat here this morning very consumed by worries of their health, by their family, by their jobs, 
the financial situation with the energy bills will be impacting lots of people in this community and those outside. There are very real challenges. But God invites us to put him first. To put him first and allow him to get to work amongst us. As Zachariah would say, to listen to God, to repent and turn away from doing things our own way, in our own power, and choose God's spirit. To humble ourselves afresh before God. To recognize the pride within us that doesn't want to do that. And one writer describes it, to find God's unforced rhythms of grace for our lives. You know, there are lots of ways we can do that. And uh, John did give me permission when the preachers met up a, couple, um, a few nights ago. Actually, do you want to share the picture you had? It might be easier. Do you, or do you want me to do it? Uh, do, when we were praying, there's a number of meetings. I'll do it. Is, is it. When we were meeting, there was a simple picture that John had, uh, which was a body that needed resuscitation. And um, when you're being resuscitated, actually, a lot of pressure needs to be placed on the chest to the heart to get the heart working again. And sometimes that means you end up getting cracked ribs. And there's a sense, you know, in which, as far as we continue to journey together, is that God may need to break us again if, he w- if we want to come back to life. You know, maybe you think that my job or other people's job is to just to make you more comfortable while you suffer. But the God of the universe wants to come by his spirit and allow us to minister his grace to a world that's in desperate need of him. And actually to do that might require a little bit more energy or a little bit more pain for us in the short term to allow our hearts to beat again for him. Final word, and then I'll pray. In the last couple of years, um, when people come into this church, one of the things they often say is, and actually a couple came into church this morning just as we were setting up, they were running along, and they, came, they saw the doors open. They looked and said, what a beautiful picture. And they came, into the back, they came into the back of the church just to have a look. And lots of people do that. Um, and actually, I have to confess, I have said this before. I don't love the stained glass windows, sorry, uh, for those who do. But one of the things I love about the stained, I do love about the stained glass window that's behind that is that the fact that St. Swithin's is at Jesus' feet. And in the last year, I think in the last year particularly, I've got compelled with that. That actually maybe we need to be humbled afresh. We're not at Jesus' head trying to tell him everything to do or to listen to him. We're simply at Jesus' feet as humble followers of Jesus. And in a sense, that's part of our call this morning. It's that... Will you this morning commit afresh to follow? To allow God's spirit to shape, to mold, to direct your life and to choose to follow Jesus this term and this year ahead. And will you recommit to do that? And that's my invitation this morning. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, afresh for your promises to us as a church over the generations that you have never leave us, left us or forsaken us, that you are true to your word. Would you fall afresh upon us by your spirit? 
would you produce St. John the Baptist when he uh, was baptizing that phrase of produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so, Father, where we have got things wrong, we offer ourselves to you, offer those areas of our lives to you. And say we're sorry where things have got out of line. Things have got too big. Concerns about all the worries of the world have consumed us. So actually that you aren't king in a real way in our lives. But Father, we don't, but this morning we turn afresh to you and say you are our saviour, but you are also our king. Baptise us afresh by your spirit. Let the fire of your spirit fill our lives as we walk with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.